ora and welcome into the Kiwi Football Fix. What we do here on this show is we shine a spotlight on all things New Zealand football, both here and abroad. Today on the show, we are lucky to be joined by somebody in studio. It's been a raft of guests in the big screen. Been looking over here a lot, but I finally get to share a studio <laughs> with Tom Simani, Football Ferns head coach. Thanks so much for keeping me company today. Uh, fantastic to be here. <laughs> Good to be back in New Zealand. Yeah, and so let us know when you got back, because obviously the uh, Trans-Tasman bubble opened up April 19. You're domiciled in Australia. When did you get the opportunity to come back to New Zealand? Well, I actually got back on the first day that the bubble opened. So right. it was uh, exciting times at Sydney airport you know it was good to see it was good to be back in an airport actually and see a bit of life around an airport and uh, there was a lot of excited people there because obviously a lot of families who hadn't been back to New Zealand for a long time hadn't seen the families so I think for a lot of people it was quite an emotional day. Yeah was it a bit um, I don't know uh, anxiety inducing because like you haven't traveled for so long and then you're starting to think well where's my passport what is, what's the procedure here you know when when do you go through um, the check-in process and all that sort of stuff like it, was it a bit strange it kind of was at first you know <laughs> it was kind of like okay what do I need to take out I need to take my laptop out I need to you know all that kind of stuff that you you just used to do on on remote basically yeah uh, yeah you had to get back in back in the swing but uh, as soon as you got through and the, the duty-free was open, the lounge was open and, as I say, people were sort of excited. It was a, it was a, it was a cool day, actually. What did you get duty-free? Uh, am, am I allowed to ask No, that? on this way, that is, well, it's, it's probably the main reason that they bring me back over because I bring the Toblerone for the office. Oh, so, right. Massive so blocks of the stuff. Yes, yeah. So they weren't missing me, but they were certainly missing the, the Toblerone. <laughs> so Toblerone on the way over, gin for my wife on the way back. Oh, brilliant. OK, good stuff. Oh, when do you return to Australia? I'm heading back this Saturday. OK, well, it's nice to have you here on the Kiwi Football Fix for the time being. Uh, while you've been in Australia, uh, it's been a strange old time. I mean, we had you on the Kiwi Football Fix a number of weeks back now. But uh, look, with COVID and all that sort of stuff, uh, how have you actually coped throughout the last 12 month period? Because I would imagine it would be quite difficult to do your job as Football Ferns head coach. Yeah, because you can't do a lot. You mm. know, you can think about doing a lot. You can think in your head and you can put things down. You can plan things. But you actually, you really don't have any activity. Uh, it was great. We had seven players in the W League, so that was fantastic because that actually got me out around the country watching games and catching up, actually physically catching up with the players, which, mm. you know, is, is fantastic. And, um, you know, then just sort of looking at videos and stuff, but it's still not the same as actual person-to-person -person contact. Yeah, so how good was it um, being able to follow those in the W League? You know, there's a, a now iconic photo of yourself, Annalie Longo, Claudia Bunge, after uh, the victory won the W League. H how much interaction did you have with those players face-to-face? -face? Was it like a weekly thing? Was it fortnightly, monthly? Yeah. It varied. You know, there was times when I would see them, you know, twice in a week, and then there was times when it would be, um, you know, two or three weeks before seeing them again. Probably the more challenging players were the three that were in Perth, mm. because Perth went through a whole range of, of restrictions, travel restrictions, so, so their schedule was all over the place. So I probably physically caught up with them two or three times, uh, but the, the Melbourne the, and Brisbane players, Canberra players, I caught up with. Uh, fairly regularly. And so what are you saying when you when you see them? Are you 
Are you talking to them about what they're doing on the field for their certain W League team? Is it more around what the future holds for the football ferns, the, the Tokyo Olympics? Is, is it all of the above? It's all of the above. You know, you're settling in. You know, the, the three girls that went to Perth, you know, that's their, you know, like you said, first time they've dipped their toe in the water and leaving the country to, to play football in, mm. a, in a professional sense. So you just kept in touch with them just to make sure everything was going okay and they were having the time of their life uh, living <laughs> in Perth playing football yeah and um, and then the other ones as I say I, I was able to catch up with a bit more regularly because uh, being East Coast it was easier to get to their games how good was the story of Claudia Bunge because it was her first professional hit out yeah. she's with the victory and she wins the title in her first crack yeah. That, that's pretty awesome. Great story. And she played every minute of every game. Yeah. Which is, you know, quite phenomenal, really, for a young player just to go in there and in that environment and um, and settle in so well. So she did good. I mean, it was interesting because the first couple of games she was a little bit nervy. And then, then she really settled into her stride and, and got better, you know, week in and week out. And, and to be fair, you know, every coach was delighted with the Kiwi players that they had, both on and off the field. So it was a great exercise for, for the girls to be able to play there. But it was also, you know, really good for the W League to have a look at New Zealand players and find out what they can actually offer both on the field and off the field. Well, that's a great point that you make, Tom, because obviously I think the when, when we spoke to you on the, on the football fix earlier, um, we were talking about the Wellington Phoenix efforts to get a women's team into the W League competition and it didn't materialise. On the back of what these New Zealand ladies have done in the recently completed competition, do you think that will provide further impetus for the Wellington Phoenix to get into the competition next time around? Well, I, I think the impetus is there and I think the discussions are already happening. And the, and the good th thing at the moment is that they're happening now or earlier as opposed to last year when they literally happened at the last minute. Yeah. So, you know, I think obviously the Kiwi players being in the league and, and making that connection and, um, and seeing them. And, and, you know, it's like once you interact with people, the relationship is so much different. Mm. So I think it's certainly been beneficial uh, that those players were in the league. What about the, the players that were in the league playing for those Australian teams? What's the likelihood of them returning to New Zealand and playing for the Phoenix in the same competition because they've had these great experiences like Annalie Longo, like Claudia Bunge. How difficult would it be to drag them back to a New Zealand-based team? Well, I think the challenge will be that other teams will want to hold on to them. Mm. So it'd be like anything, there'll be some negotiating and, 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 um, and there'll be some players that will be you know, I've been comfortable at the team they've been at, so, and they'll be feeling maybe under a little bit of pressure to stay there. But at the same time, I think if, and hopefully we get a Phoenix team in this year, that most of the players will want to come back and, and play for that team. What's your involvement in that process? Like, do you get to have much say in what the Wellington Phoenix do or don't do and what the FFA accept into their competition? Um, not, not so much. You know, there's a, a pay grade above mine. So I kind of work at this other level. Um, and, you know, the, the fortunate thing is because I've been in Australia for so long, you know, I'm, I generally know everybody that's involved in, in football there. Yeah. So my connection in that regard is more, uh, more of a, in an informal basis, if you like, and finding out information and talking to people and selling people the idea about how good it would be for Phoenix to be in the league. Because 
like most things, there is a little bit of pushback there uh, mm. in the sense that they, they don't know if they want to bring in a, a New Zealand team ahead of another Australian team, etc. So, you know, I think part of my role has been to try and sell that to the, the decision makers over there. And then the, the, the real negotiations happen, that I, you know, that level above me. OK, well, let's hope that uh, at some point in the very near future, it does get the tick and we see a Wellington Phoenix team in that W League competition. Just going back to um, your role with those New Zealand players throughout the W League and trying to get across them, talk to them as much as possible. That's one side of your job as Football Ferns head coach, but you've also got to talk to players abroad and you've got women everywhere, don't you? Europe, America and obviously here in New Zealand as yeah. well. So throughout the COVID year, how Difficult was that, given all the different time zones yeah. and all the people that you needed to accommodate? It's been challenging. The, the, the biggest challenge was when and if you wanted to try and get everybody together at some stage, because literally we've got players playing in virtually every time zone mm. throughout the world. So if you were trying to have a Zoom with all the group, it became almost impossible because it was midnight for some players, it was six o'clock in the morning for others, it was during training time for others. So, so that that was challenging. What you tend to find as a, as a, an international coach is that when players are, are in the professional environment and when they're playing and when everything is going okay, they kind of, they're okay. They don't, you don't hear too much. Things are just taking over. So the important thing is just to be there when things are, are going wrong or they need some advice or, or they need uh, some help with anything. Uh, you know, perhaps moving clubs or things are not working out well at the clubs. Mm. That's when, you know, the, the importance of the relationship becomes apparent. Well, I suppose it was, it was heightened somewhat because of last year's situation. You've got players in, in competitions that were either on hold or they lost contracts because of the COVID situation. And so we, were you more active with, with certain players because of that situation unfolding? Um, yeah, not not so much with the COVID because other countries kind of sort of played well ahead of us. They got in there and, and they played. It was more a case of, um, you know, generically of a player's at a club where things aren't working out for them or they, mm. they want to move somewhere else um, or they want advice on something. It was more around that basis. And, um, you know, as a, as a group, we tended to do more contacts with a, a WhatsApp because that gets out to everybody quickly. But generally, it's just sort of being there, being available and having not just me, but our support services, you know, our, our sports science people, um, uh, um, analysts, etc. So it's more, you know, they probably had as much of not more contact than me when players wanting videos or players wanting advice on their, their training programme, etc. So the key thing was for our players to, to know and be aware that you know, there's a network here mm. for them to be able to contact whenever they needed anything. And how are you with technology? Because you know, when it comes to FaceTiming or Zooming or Microsoft Teams, I've got no idea. Are you are you pretty competent when? I think it probably comes to that the word the, probably the word would be limited, <laughs> and that's probably a compliment. So who's but helping you out behind what, the scenes to get I'm, it all sorted? <laughs> so I'm not good, but what I'm very good at is finding people who are good. So, right. <laughs> so I've got people who, you know, tell me what buttons to press. Very so good. That's, uh, that's been, <laughs> that's very fortunate with being my age and working with a lot of young people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're all tech savvy. Yeah. Uh, so you're in New Zealand and uh, you're off very shortly. But in, in this little window that you've got, 
what are you hoping to achieve with the, the New Zealand-based players that are here? Um, well, not a lot with the New Zealand-based players because they're already either in programmes or, or doing things. What, what basically here, there was a couple of things. We had an under-20s camp. We had an under-17s camp. So they've been really valuable because that's the first time I've had a chance to, to look at those players. And the first time those players have been able to come into the camp for some time. So that was really valuable because you start looking to see players that you think might be on the radar and players that you might be able to give an opportunity to in the near future. Um, but there's sort of generically, again, it was just sort of catching up with players, W League players coming back and going into programmes and to make sure the ones that are here are still getting catered for suitably. Mm. We're about 11 weeks away from the Tokyo Olympics. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's rapidly approaching. How, how set in stone is your football fern squad for that event? Is there, is there a little bit of leeway for people to force their way into it? I mean, yeah. is it 90% of the way there? Um, I think it's like most squads. You've probably got 70, 75% already ticked off. It's always the last, you know, three, four, five mm. spots. And to be honest, that's been a, that has been the real challenge uh, because... Uh, I haven't seen the player since the middle of March last year. Wow. I uh, haven't been over in New Zealand since February last year. Mm. So the, the, your established players who are playing regularly in America or Europe, they, they're kind of taking care of themselves. But it's that other group who have either been based here or the younger players that over the last 12 or 14 months you'd have opportunities to see and to work with mm. and see how they develop, you know, basically haven't been able to see you know, any of those players play. And yeah. so that, that's been the real difficulty. You know, what we are trying to do is bring as many players back from Europe and our domestic players and get them together in, in early June and be, be in a camp for a couple of weeks in early June. And that will be a time when there'll be a real opportunity for some players to, you know, cement a place in the squad or actually get a place in the squad. Have you had anybody um, tell you through your, your WhatsApp groups and your, your Zoom calls that they're actually a little reticent to go to Japan because of the, the COVID situation? Has anyone pulled out? No, nobody touch wood at this stage has pulled out. I don't out. know if that's wood, That's Tom. wood, no, that's yeah. like touch wood. <laughs> some sort of, I don't <laughs> Just know Just touch your head, that'll do it. That's <laughs> the next best thing. Um, no, nobody has. Nobody's given any indication of that. And I'd be surprised, you know, it, the majority, particularly our players overseas, they're living in amongst COVID, so it's yeah. really not much different to them. And uh, I think our players based here are, are, and, and in, in Australia are, are really keen to go there. Is there anyone that's like not on our radar in the media and uh, in broadcasting uh, scenes that, that you've seen recently and you've gone, this is one for the future, we need to keep a close eye on her? Um, th th there's a couple of players that have you know, that have caught my eye at the, the 20s camp and the 17s camp, and it'll be interesting to see how they go. And we might give a couple of them an opportunity at this camp that we're having in June, just to see how they go with the, the more mature players and see how they, how they go in that environment. Okay. In this year, um, 2021, uh, the government has purchased a whole bunch of vaccinations for, for the population, and we're seeing uh, on social media pages a variety of New Zealand athletes uh, receiving the jab so they can safely yeah. go to Japan. What's the situation with New Zealand football, the, the All Whites, the, the football ferns? Have, have you received 
jabs? Are you receiving jabs in the near future? What, what's the go? I think receiving them in the near future. Some of the staff have already received the, their injection. Uh, and then I think anybody that's going to the Olympics will be getting, getting that injection. Um, I come back in a couple of weeks, so I'll get mine then. And then you need to wait for three weeks before you get the second one. So, yeah, that, that's, that's all in hand. I think the challenging bit is uh, the players coming from overseas where we don't actually have any control over right. to degree what happens to them. But fortunately, I think in most of those countries, the, the injection's getting rolled out quite quickly. Yeah, because what you were saying earlier about um, players, you might not get access to them until very close to the tournament. So that you know, the, the three-week window from jab one to jab two, like when do they get into the country to, to receive well, those? They won't be getting back here at all. Nah. So we'll have, you know, six, seven, eight athletes who will be meeting us in, in Tokyo coming from the, from the US and from Northern Europe. Interesting times ahead. Didn't think we'd see anything like this, <laughs> did we, at any point? No, it's something you just can't plan for and, nah. and you can't even plan ahead for because you just don't know. Uh, sort of what's next. No. Well, we do kind of know what's next. Uh, at the Olympics, you're gonna, it's almost like it's the Tom Somani group of death because <laughs> <laughs> you've got oh, your, your old teams everywhere. Yeah. Obviously, with the football ferns, you've got the United States, yeah. the Australians, Sweden. Yeah. Um, would you have it any other way? Um, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's a pretty tough draw. The reality is every draw, when you're in the fourth pool, the fourth pot, Every draw is a tough draw. And, um, and the thing for us, um, New Zealand team, is that you know, whoever we play against, we, we've really got to turn up in the day. We've got to get our tactics right. We've got to get our preparation right. And we've got to get our performance right. Mm. And I think if we do that, we've shown that we can be competitive against uh, anyone in the world. And uh, you know, so we, we just go in there and play like Kiwis. I mean, we, we always ask uh, our, our athletes and, and teams, what are the expectations that you place upon yourself before a tournament or a competition? Yeah. Kind of hard to get a, a handle on what you're going to do on the yeah. field when you can't get everybody together, but what, what are the expectations that you have placed upon yourself? My, my expectations are all around performance. Because you, you can't, even at the best of times in, in our sport, it's very difficult to predict results because even if you're the poorest team on the day, you're still, you can still actually win a game, or if you're the best team in the day, you can still actually lose a game. Yeah. I, th I think the, the key thing for me is that I, I want us to go out and play like a Kiwi team, and that is to you know, not be on the back foot, to make sure we give it a go, to make sure we play the very best that we can. That's the key thing, you know, and then if we can do all that well enough, then there's a chance that we're, we're going to be able to get results. So that's why we like you here in New Zealand, Tom, because you, you actually embrace the culture and the yeah. spirit of the way we do things, yeah. whereas maybe the last coach didn't yeah. quite comprehend that. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, and in saying that, I suppose, did, did you, when you came in after Andreas Haraf yeah. had exited, what, what kind of work did you have to do in order to make the Ferns believe that the New Zealand way was the way? Well, I think the players always felt that, and I think that was one of the reasons that there was, it was problematic prior to me coming in. I was fortunate that we had a, a guy called Aaron Walsh, did a lot of work, uh, and Christy Hill at the PFA did a lot of work around the team and the, the culture of the team and what the team stood for. 
Uh, and the players, you know, that, that really sort of was the, the foundation. So when I came in, all that foundation work was already done. So that made my job a little bit easier. And I think the other thing that made my job um, a little bit easier was, you know, I've, I've had the Australian team and I've had the Canadian team and, and, and I knew the, the New Zealand team quite well, their players well. So those cultures for me are all very similar. They all come from countries that, that want to have a go and want to try and find ways to win things. So, you know, as I say, when I came in, you know, fortunately that foundation was there and, and it made my job a lot easier. Mm. You've got a, a contract with New Zealand football and the Ferns through until just after the Olympics. Yeah. What happens beyond the Olympics for you? What, what is your desire? Do you want to stay and go through to the World Cup in 2023, yeah. played here and in Australia? Like, yeah. is, that, is that your goal? I, um, I, I, I don't really have any goals after my contract at this stage. I think that's something that New Zealand football actually has. You know, they have to decide what they want to do and what they, they want to look for. You know, so at the moment, my, my focus is completely on going through to the Olympics and whatever happens after that sort of happens after that. So I haven't even, you know, I haven't thought that far ahead and I haven't, you know, thought into sort of what happens next. I mean, initially I only came into this job over for a nine month period. Now it's, it's over two and a half years. So it's almost like Kiwi's going to Bondi. Um, <laughs> sorry, that's it. Well, the Gold Coast. Is that, is that, yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, so, um, yeah, yeah I'll, I'll, my, my main focus is just seeing this through to the Olympics and then whatever happens next happens. Do you want to stay? Look, I'm, I'm enjoying the job. I enjoy working with the players. Uh, but, you know, the, 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 it's not about me. You know, the organisation has to think about what it wants to do moving forward and what direction they want to go in. Mm. And, um, you know, that's, you know, at some stage probably a conversation that, we might have, but uh, as I say, it's really, it, I've never looked further ahead than the job that I'm doing to when the end of that job is, and then whatever happens after that happens. But you've, you've got the, the support of the players, and, and that was evident in Abby Ursig rejoining the Ferns. I mean, she was brave enough to take a stand yeah. uh, under her AF, and then when you came along, you had that pre-existing relationship, and, and she was confident in your ability and your understanding of the Kiwi culture to come back. So that, that is something that weighs heavily in your favour, as far as I'm uh, concerned. Yeah, it does. <laughs> I don't know if the players still feel like that <laughs> two and a half years in. <laughs> <laughs> oh, do they not? Never, oh, I don't know. <laughs> uh, no, the players have been great. They're, they're great. The organisation's fantastic. Um, I enjoy you know, working in the environment. But as I say, whatever happens next, um, you know that, that you know that has, decision has to be sort, uh, you know thought through. You know, I think what, what's happened with me coming in, although it's had much longer term than that was anticipated initially, is it? It's still been sort of short, you know, short term stuff. You know, World Cup to Olympics, mm. the Olympics cancelled to Olympics, and then I think everybody has to take a breath and say, okay, what? You know, it's not now just you know, a quick fix. It has to be thought out of what the organisation wants to do going forward. Mm. All right, well, let's let's look short term and in between now and the, the Tokyo Olympics. 
What, what do you want to achieve with this group in terms of games? Because uh, I would assume that it would be quite difficult to yeah. organise fixtures with players abroad and, and, and not yeah. arriving with the squad until the, the Tokyo Games. And I would also assume that it might be quite difficult to play Australia given that you play them in the group phase of the tournament. <laughs> you, you probably don't want to give too much away. So what, what are your options? We don't really have any options. Pre-Tokyo, pre we, we don't have options at all because we can't go anywhere and play and we can't bring anyone here mm. to play so the best we can do is as i say in, uh, in next sort of um over the next or uh, in about two or two or three weeks time get as many players together here as possible get the best preparation we can here and then meet up with the ones that go direct to to tokyo yeah. the advantage that we've got is that we've got a core of players that have played together for a very long time and we've got a core of players that got on very well on the field but also got on very well off the field so that, that's the, the big advantage so we're not kind of coming together as a sort of group of strangers or mm. a whole different squad or players that are getting to know each other so so that's a, an advantage for us um, we're in the process of arranging a couple of games while we're in Tokyo before we go into the the tournament Again, you've got to be careful because you can't play too many games because you only get a short period of time. Yeah. The last thing you want to do is play a lot of games in that lead-up period and then suddenly, you know, your team's exhausted going into the tournament. So it's just getting all that balance right. While, while you're here in New Zealand, is there maybe an opportunity? I was, I was thinking sort of outside the, the box. Last year, um, Netball New Zealand, they had... Uh, a quad series where the Silver Ferns actually met the New Zealand men's national side. Uh, would you would you think of like a some sort of intergender match, a New Zealand men's selection up against your football ferns? Um, well, it's not it's not so much that. What we do is we we do we, as soon as we come into camp in June, uh, part of that camp will be playing against boys teams. So we tend to get boys teams around sort of ages fourteen to sixteen. That's okay. kind of. That's kind of the, you either play that kind of age group or you kind of go to the over 35s age group where the guys have slowed down a little that, bit. That can be dangerous though, because I played over 30s a few years back and uh, everyone gets angry. Oh, they're they, really angry because they, they think that they're still as good as they were in their 20s yeah. and they just start hacking everyone down. That can be that you've got to get the right players. You've got to get, <laughs> get players that you've got to get players that realise that, that they, you know they're not 22 anymore, yeah. uh, and that can be a challenge. Even if you go over 50s, that can be a challenge. <laughs> All of a sudden, Abby Ursig's ruled out of the tournament. Yeah. Oh yeah, this yeah. <laughs> over 30s mob just hacked the pieces out of it. Yeah, jeez. Okay, so it's it's shaping up all right. Like, how comfortable are you in terms of? between now and then, how comfortable are you that you'll, you'll have a, a decent lead-in for, for the, the ferns to hit the ground running in Tokyo? Yeah, I'm pretty confident. Um, you know, I, I kind of I come from an, an era where you just cope with what you, you have to cope with and you do with what you have to do. And as I say, we'll have time with the team in, in Tokyo. The players know each other. They kind of know what we're doing playing-wise, although that needs obviously refreshing once they go away because they tend to forget that and and uh, it goes elsewhere and um, but I, th I think you know the circumstances we have are a little bit challenging but you know we've got a group of players that are able to cope in, in that kind of environment we've got a group of players that are you know it's one of the great things about having a team like a New Zealand team is that um, they get on with stuff you know there's no big timers there's no people that 
you know, moan and complain about mm -hmm. stuff. They come in, the players get on with things, and, and we'll just do that. And we'll have enough time together to get the stuff that we need to get in place. And hopefully that the biggest thing when you go into tournaments is having everybody fit and healthy. So if we're able to do that, we're able to have the time together that we hope we're going to have, then we'll be okay. Then, you know, then it's easy under these circumstances to rule out excuses, you know, after excuse, after excuse. But that, it's, that, that's kind of futile. You do what you need to do. We'll get together, we'll be prepared and we'll be ready to go in the first game. And if we can get all those things right, then we'll be competitive. Good to hear. You, you've, done, you've done a lot in your, your footballing life and you've been here, there and everywhere. As I said earlier, coached the States, Australia, Canada, now here in New Zealand. Did you ever think at any point in your, your young footballing career that you would achieve the things that you have? I'd never have thought my coaching career would have gone in the direction yeah. that it's gone. Um, I, I never really thought, you know, people talk about planning ahead. I'm in my 60s now and I'm still not planning ahead. So um, You've done pretty well I've for someone who's just, just been winging yeah, it. Yeah, I've just, well, I kind of have uh, in a sense. And, you know, if you asked me 25 years ago, did I think I'd be involved in women's football like I have been? I would have said, no, I, that wouldn't be the case. So, uh, you know, I've just been very fortunate that, um, that in most cases I've been able to take jobs that have appealed to me. So when I've gone into coaching, I think coaches go down certain pathways. And I think when you go into coaching, you, you really can't plan because your coaching career could on, can go for two years or it can go for 20 or 30 years. It, it's really quite fickle. Um, and, you know, throughout most of my coaching career, not all of it, you know, I've had opportunities that have come to me that have appealed to me. And it's, mm. for me, it's been more about the opportunity and the job um, and uh, the things like that. And, and that's kind of just guided my, my career and I've just gone that way. Because well, I'm, I'm assuming you were a, you know, a young footballer, stars in your eyes, you want to um, take on the world, win the Champions League and all that. How, how did you actually get into the, the coaching sphere? Um, well, just I was sort of finishing playing my, my career in, in, in Australia and uh, I was playing in the NSL, the old A-League kind of yeah. thing. And then sort of, I became the oldest player on the team, so I still played well <laughs> into my 30s, so he became the captain. And then, then I kind of fell into uh, player coach. I became the player coach, and then sort of went into coaching. Uh, I came from a teaching background as well, so I think that probably helps because you know, you're know you a bit more comfortable standing up and mm. speaking in front of people and things like that. So I kind of then, and, and I think like most footballers, most footballers, want to stay in the game and they kind of want to challenge themselves. So you always have that, uh, certainly I did, an inkling of thinking, I wonder what I could do as a coach. And, you know, the ironic, ironic thing is when you get into the job, you've got absolutely no idea what the job's really about <laughs> until you, you dip your toe in the water. And then it's kind of just going on from there. And, and, and to be honest, as I say, particularly in my initial days, it, it was all men's football that I was involved in and I would have perceived a, a career path in men's football mm. and then women's football interfered along the way and it, I went in an entirely different direction. Yeah, just talking about the old NSL and seeing what you see now in the current A-League, how much has it changed in terms of quality and the players that they attract to their clubs? I mean, we're, you know, Ulysses de Vila is one of the best players in the competition yeah. running around for the Wellington Phoenix. Yeah. How, how much has it changed? It, it's, it's changed 
it's changed quite significantly. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that are a lot better. You know, old guys like me keep talking about how good things used to be. <laughs> there, there were really good qualities in the old NSL. You know, it was very much, it was an ethnic league. So one of the great qualities is that you got a, a real mix. You get a real mix of cultures and you get a real mix of football. You know, the Croatians played this way, Greeks played this way, the Italians and things like that. Mm. Um, so it was, and, and there was um, a different passion about, about the game. You know, the, the, it was very much about the football. Uh, I know that sounds kind of vague, but you know, these days there's a whole lot of other things in, involved in the game. You know, the, the off-field, the finance, or, or, you know, a range of things, which a lot of it is better. But there was a real passion about the game back back in those days. Um, and, and there were some good players come out in the old National League. I mean, Kevin Keegan came out, played some games for Blacktown. Mm. You know, Mick Shannon, uh, an English international, came out and played for, for Newcastle. So there the were at different times some, some quality players coming into the league. But the A-League, you know... I, I, the Lear League uh, was a step that the game needed to take to become mainstream, and that, that was really important. And I think, um, you know, it's, it's had some challenges financially and resource-wise, but I think now it's kind of, there's some really serious owners, and I think with the owners now taking um, lead in running the competition, that will hopefully have, give it a different dynamic and it'll go, continue to go from strength to strength. And I think the other great thing is, you know, there's a lot of doom and gloom around the A-League this year with, you know, a lack of overseas players because mm. of the COVID and things like that. And I think the league's been a revelation this year. I think the games have been terrific. I think a lot of, you know, domestic, more domestic players have got a, an opportunity to play. I think it's had some real talent coming through. And at the same time, there have been some quality internationals playing in the league. Yeah, such as Stephen Taylor, who's managed to shore up the Wellington Phoenix defence. Yeah. Do, do you think they can go on to I, occupy a playoff spot? They've got a real chance now. You know, I watched them a few times early in the season and, and they were playing well, but just not getting results. And now they've, they've kind of, if you look at the, the recent results, them and I think maybe Brisbane, one of the other teams, are the two teams that are kind of coming into form at the right time. Mm. So hopefully they can they can keep that form up and uh, sneak into the playoffs. Yeah, absolutely. And as they venture back to New Zealand and play a couple of mm. games, Wellington, Auckland, that can only help, eh, in front of Shoot. New Zealand support for the first time in donkeys. Yeah, and, and uh, I heard on the radio just the other day how well the tickets are selling out in, in Wellington. So... You know, that would be great to see them back there and hopefully get a full house. Absolutely. Well, look, it'll be great to see you and your football ferns over in Tokyo doing great things against the US, Australia, Sweden. Tom Samani, thanks so much for coming back to New Zealand once the bubble opened and uh, joining us on the Kiwi Football Fix. We wish you all the best at the uh, Tokyo Olympics, mate. I hope you really do well. Thanks very much. Great to be back.